Welcome to episode 142 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we're talking about the experiences, specifically the tension experience, the lust experience, and their upcoming um, expansion to Vegas and beyond. We've got uh, we've got Darren Bowsman, Clint Sears, and Gordon B. Jelanek. And if you hang around for the whole episode, at some point, dropping in will be one of the new producers of the show. We'll be calling in uh, a guy by the name of Joe Russo, who you might know because he's half of the film directing duo, the Russo Brothers, with his with his with his brother, uh, and they've uh, they've recently become producers. Um, for the tension experience, uh, and Joe was kind enough to to carve out a little time in his freaking insanely busy schedule to talk to us. Um, so we're gonna hold the phone up <laughs> to the microphone, and that's how we were able to get Joe because he's tying up a small movie right now for a company that you know maybe you're familiar with. So just a little. A little bit hard to make it to a podcast recording. Um, we're completely, completely over the moon uh, that Joe uh, called in. And I think you're going to be over the moon about that as well. And you're going to be into everything. We're uh, we're, we're going to dig into the business side. It's going to be one of those wonky episodes. Um, and really a reflection of, for all those who wonder, uh, you know, like, because once in a while Darren and I talk, uh, like, what do we talk about? We talk about this stuff. So... Uh, tension heads out there, you know, if, if you're looking for, you know, secrets of the, the, the universe, the OA universe, it's probably not the episode you're looking for, unless there's some coded message in it that I am not aware of. I mean, we do have Darren and Clinton Gordon, so it's entirely possible there's some coded message in here that I would just be too naive to pick up on. But, uh, this is going to be a fairly wonky episode, um, and, and a meaty one at that. So, uh, this is, this is, uh, I've been waiting for this one for a while. And here's, here's a fun fact. I didn't know this until I looked this up. It has been 81 episodes, 81 episodes since we first had Darren on the podcast, which was the last time we had Darren on the podcast. And I know that's just like a year and a half, but 81 episodes. So episode 61 is the first episode uh, with Darren and I had literally met him 10 minutes before and had literally been told only 15 minutes before that who was going to walk through the door at Think Tank to meet me because up until that point uh, we did not know who the director the creator of the tension experience was um, that episode episode 61 um, I like to think of as sort of the capstone for the first year and change of the no pro podcast so if you want a good overview of the first, like a, an encapsulation of the first 60 episodes of No Pro, just go listen to that episode. Um, this is, this one's almost more like looking at the future. We're looking at the future. We're looking at the future of the experiences. We're looking at the future of the immersive, the live immersive industry. And uh, we've got a lot of smart dudes uh, sitting in a, in a, in a garage lair uh, ready to, ready to, to crack this open for us. 
few more things before we jump into the episode. You know you're getting a campaign update. Um, here we go. Um, I want to thank everyone who has who has contributed and who has spread the word about the No Pro Goes Pro campaign. Here's the update where we stand right now. We we had set ourselves a pretty bold goal of doubling everything, right? So we wanted to go from 132 backers to 264 backers and $782 a month to $1,564 a month. Now, shocking no one, we have fallen short of the goal. Boo. But slightly surprising to me, we have hit some pretty wonderful milestones. So right now, we stand at 159 backers. So we've jumped up 27 patrons this month. Um, and we're standing at $1,029. So we've, we've outpaced, you know, cash to backers, which is really cool. So we're up $269, which is, which is so nice. Um, what I'd like to see in this last two days of March, before we close out the first of the no pro GoPro campaigns goes pro, GoPro's a brand. Uh, no pro goes pro. It's hard for me to say too. Um, is if we could bump it to thirty new patrons, and maybe just maybe hit the three hundred dollar mark, right? So three patrons, thirty one dollars. Uh, that's sort of the dream for the weekend, right? Which doesn't mean like three ten dollar backers or you don't do math. Don't do math. Math is not fun, but. I am super, super grateful. It was amazing to cross the $1,000 mark. We do have a pretty ambitious goal of you know, getting us to like $6,000 a month in, in crowdfunded support for us to go completely self-sustaining. And I'm, I'm looking at other avenues, right? Like, but that would help us, that would help us do this full-time. And this is becoming increasingly even more of a full-time job. And uh, just every minute that I'm not working on this stuff, I'm, I'm feeling guilty. I feel guilty when I'm not working on immersive stuff. If I'm not working on NoPro, if I'm not working on IDS, if I'm not working on Leia, uh, any of the acronyms, if I'm not working on an acronym that I created, <laughs> I feel guilty. So there you go. All right, enough about that. There's a bunch of stuff at the website this week. And again, you know, we just launched the North American newsletter. So if you're looking to get a sense of what's going on in the world, if you don't have time to go to the website all the time, and you just want a, a sense of what's happening beyond your shores, then the, the way to do this is to get the North American newsletter. There's just three newsletters now, so you don't have to track a whole bunch of stuff. There's the LA, there's the New York, and there's the North America. North America comes out every week, and there is always something new, which is incredible and daunting, really daunting. There's a bunch of work about to like break in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm going to check in with Catherine soon about what's going on in New York. And um, just sorry, the, the <laughs> my phone buzzed me to remind me, you're doing something in 15 minutes. So that's what that sound was. Um, so with that, out further ado, without ruining any more of the opening, let's set this up. Previously, in the adventure that is the experiences, the Tangent Experience upended immersive in Los Angeles two Halloween seasons ago. Darren Bowsman, who is a major director on the Saw franchise, really, really took it into the, the heart of Saw, also the creative repo of the genetic opera. Uh, Darren uh, just, just cracked open and brought the most elaborate uh, 
uh, production meshing an ARG to the point where now I call them ARXs because it's more than a game, um, an ARG and a live show. And because of his, his pop culture status managed to get a lot of attention on tension uh, and a lot of attention for immersive theater that hadn't popped off since delusion first hit LA. And it really just supercharged what was going on with the LA scene that Halloween season. I think we'll all look back on the 2015, wait, 2016? Yeah, no. Oh my God, the 2016. We'll all look back on the 2016 Halloween season and say, we had something really special right then because we had tension, we had delusion, we had creep. Just absolutely fantastic work going on across the board. Tension has, has charged forward and just recently it was announced that they are taking the show to Vegas. That's not entirely what's going on. It's more than that. The plan is bigger. The plan's more elaborate. We're going to get into that. Darren and Gordon and Clint are going are gonna to let us in on some of what the plans are. Uh, not story-wise, but production-wise. And there's, there's a lot of ambition there. And what's great is that with the folks who've come on board, you know it can get done. Because when you have the directors of the biggest movie franchise on the planet coming on board to produce your stuff, the conversations change. Um, but before that all happens, we got to honor the work that Darren and Gordon and Clint have done in order to bring us to that point. So thank you guys for the mad scientist experiments you have been doing, uh, crazy as they often are. Um, you've, you've changed the face. You've changed the face of this stuff. Um, this is, this is one of those round and round episodes. Clint's by remote. Uh, Gordon and Darren are in, uh, are in, in the lair. And, uh, yeah. So here we go. God, I just, sometimes I just drop the football on the end of one of these. I need more coffee. I'll see you on the other side of the interview. There we go. Do you guys uh, have a really elaborate setup going on right now? Uh, Incredible. It's so elaborate. Yeah. We got, <laughs> we got two laptops and five cords and nice. everything. Everything's all wild. So, but, you know, elaborate setups and, and tension are, are maybe appropriate. Yeah. So we're here, we're here in Darren Lynn Bowsman's, you call it the lair? Lair, yeah. Man cave? I don't know. Man yeah. cave. Appropriate. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, all the... Uh, my favorite thing are the the posters with the props. Like that's yeah. that's a pretty cool thing. And we're talking about uh, the tension experience and lust experience, the experiences as it is now known, uh, and uh, the big news that's come through. So uh, with us as well is Gordon, the producer, and Clint, the writer. And yeah, this is you guys are you stepped up the game in a in a large way here. You know, Gordon, uh, I'm going to take uh, one of Gordon's talking points right off the bat. And Gordon's gonna say, <laughs> Gordon said, we got some talking points. Don't take my talking points. I'm going to steal Gordon's talking points right off the bat. Um, I can tell how this is going to go. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, when, when we first started this thing, um, when Gordon and I sat down and started talking, we basically charted a course of where we wanted to be. And our kind of five to ten year goal was Vegas. Um, and that was – which was crazy. I mean we, we, we had a, a goal that, you know – 
uh, you know, 10 years after launch, five to 10 years, we're going to be in Vegas and we're, we're there two years after, um, which is kind of surreal and exciting and scary all at the same time. Yeah. To kind of elaborate on that, when, when I first met with Darren about three years ago on this thing, it was hard to explain to investors what this was. No. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so the more I looked at it and the more I listened to Darren, when he said, well, first we're going to do tension ascension and then we're going to do tension lust and then we're going to do tension adrenaline and then tension nefarious and so on and so forth. And so the more I looked at it, I said, well, wait a minute, this could turn into something. And so then he started having me go to these multiple immersive theater experiences that were going on in town. And then I said, okay, Darren, if we're going to do this, there's only one way to do this. We need to be the Cirque du Soleil of this world. In the same way that, oh, or actually Cirque du Soleil started with Mystere, mm. and then oh, and then Zumanity, and then Ka, and then so on and so forth. So they launched in Montreal. It's where actually Steve Wynn saw it and said, wow, I'd love this in my casinos. They launched in casino at Treasure Island, and then from there, it scaled into the global phenomenon that it is. And so for us, Los Angeles was kind of like the springboard, the test market. It was an expensive hybrid. And then so when we did that, we kind of wanted to continue to stay in that lane in Los Angeles and then take it to other cities and then get it to a Vegas. So we didn't think we'd get here as fast as we did. And so having the 800-pound gorilla who loves this world, the Russo brothers and Joe Russo specifically, he's... He's 100% in this world. He loves this world. He kind of, he's been to just as many, if not more than both of us combined. And so to have a partner like that, to be able to walk us into Vegas and say, hey, hey guys, this is, this is what we want to bring here is pretty. Uh, well, before we get into the Joe Russo, I have a funny Clint story. And Clint, maybe you want to tell about your and I last experience in Vegas where, so, I mean, a little backstory and I'll let Clint tell the story about Vegas, but Clint and I uh, went to middle school together. That's how we met each other. We went to middle school. Um, we were dating the same girl at the same time. It started <laughs> off very rocky between Clint and I. Uh, Running a show together is basically the I, same I thing. It, so right? this sets the pattern. Really? <laughs> well, uh, so Clint and I were always friends. And I went off to L.A. And Clint, uh, Clint stayed in Kansas. But we always would meet up. And every time I'd come home for Christmas, we'd get together. And he would come out to all my sets. Um one, I forgot why we ended up in Vegas, but Clint and I ended up in Vegas where he pitched me an idea for a movie, yeah. which we eventually sold, which was our Clint and I's first collaboration. Clint, you want to talk about that trip to Vegas? Because I think it kind of sets the mood perfectly for this. Well, yeah, it sets the mood for our relationship. Um, so I was I was at Vegas for uh, a work and I said, hey, Darren, come on out. He, he decided to do it. He flies out. And uh, the first thing your wife said to us after we we partied in Vegas all night was – of course, you guys rode roller coasters, played video games, and went to magic shops. And that kind of explains how wild and crazy Darren and I get. So, Vegas I don't even think we did a single, like, I don't think we did no. any gambling or anything like that. It was literally just a, magic stores and roller coasters. You walked by a slot at one point and put a dollar in. I was like, what are you doing? You're wasting all your money. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was good times. Well, and there's the, there has been a shift in the past few years. I mean, when people talk to me about Vegas – 
just in terms of what the casinos, what those entertainment companies are interested in, they know that they need to appeal to different audiences. And I mean, Cirque's been a, a draw for you know, decades now, I think, but but it's it's not not everything's working the same mojo. So the uh, bringing this kind of material to that world, I, that's both an amazing opportunity to challenge Clint. No, I was just going to agree with you completely. And, you know, uh, back when we were like teenagers, Vegas was still kind of the place where entertainment would go to retire, right? Like you have uh, all your older, older generation entertainers that go there and they do their, their retirement there and everyone goes and it was an old people place. And now we have all the stars going there and it's kind of becoming the boon for new and interesting entertainment and hope. And, you know, we're excited about that. I, yeah. Well, yeah, Vegas used to be a destination for gambling, and Vegas yeah. then turned into a destination for resorts. And now de- Vegas has turned into a destination for just pure entertainment, all levels of entertainment for children, for teenagers, for adults, and, and even grown up, grown people. So they go there for the entertainment component. The, the pool parties, for example, you know, the pools in Vegas were just lounging, and now it turned into a mega business for them. All the big pool parties, the day parties that's going on that all started 20, 25 years ago at the Hard Rock Cafe with their party rehab. And now you have Rep Republic and, and all these other parties. But again, going back to the new generation, the new generation isn't interested in seeing Cirque du Soleil. They want something else. The new generation isn't interested in going into the movie theaters. They're not interested in uh, watching films the way we grew up watching films. And again, the way they're entertained is completely different than the previous generation was entertained. And so on the immersive side of things, Vegas hasn't had anything like this. They're not offering that new generation a different form of entertainment. So I think the timing, the timing is, is, is good for everyone and, and especially for, uh, for us right now at the moment. Yeah, I and mean, it's what I know when it comes to Vegas and immersive stuff. I mean, they've definitely got, you know, an extreme hot scene there. I mean, people make pilgrimage to the Freakling Brothers, but this is this is a different type of of thing. And and you guys announced this like a just one week after the Kind Heaven project got announced. Yeah, they're like dropping a hundred million dollars at the Link Promenade, and and someone was I, I hadn't wrapped my head around it, but someone was explaining to me some stuff the other day, and I was like, oh. Okay, I'm starting to I'm starting to get how that thing evolved and like what they're what they're yeah. trying to do. I mean, it's I'll be honest. I mean, to before we get back into to, I mean, I'm obviously very excited about going to Vegas, but it, it's hard to get stuff made in LA. And I mean, mm. Nora, you and I've had many conversations, oh God, yeah. many conversations about this in the past. But um, to get to get anything done in Los Angeles, it is a it's a nightmare. I mean, it is um, mm. just even this the last thing that we did uh, the Lust experience. I mean, Gordon is not bald for choice. He rips his hair out <laughs> trying to deal with, uh, deal with permits and lawyers and uh, safety and fire marshals and all of the other stuff. It is it is a series of catch twenty twos and red tapes. And so, you know, to to take this kind of leap and to try this kind of venture, we needed a place that does a lot of this. And I mean, in, in Vegas, I mean, it is a spectacle. You're walking into a spectacle, you're walking into Vegas dancers and magic shows and huge acts. And so they're, they're kind of set up for this. Now, I think that we're tr- starting to see a shift with Meow Wolf, with uh, Kind Heaven, with now this, you're going to start seeing a shift there, like a hopefully going to be soon an epicenter of these type of immersive destinations. I hope soon it'll stay in LA and you can, you know, it'll, it'll be, you know, easy to do these in LA, but it's not. And so that was one of the kind of instigating factors as well as where can we go and do this that, that might actually 
you know, it's it's not going to just be red tape. Oh, go for it. I'm sorry. The, oh, no, the biggest challenge, again, is the location mm. and building the location out. And the only thing to really make this successful is having a long run, is having that permanent installation like Sleep No More that has had successfully for the last seven, eight plus years. And the challenge in Los Angeles is the location because the biggest capital X cost is the build out. And so it's hard to justify spending that kind of money on a build out on a location that you're only going to be in there for a couple weekends or a couple months at most. Yeah. And so the numbers, the metrics don't make any sense, make zero sense. And again, we spent the money that we spent to prove a concept, to show that there is a market for it, to kind of shake the trees a little bit in Los Angeles to say, hey, wake up. Because I think Los Angeles is thirsty for this. It's got an appetite for it. And I keep going and referring to New York. Growing up in New York City, we've had Broadway, off-Broadway, and off-off-Broadway and to this day. And you also have a big immersive theater scene. Why is it that we cannot have a certain immersive scene that's bigger or as big as Broadway? Because we have all the actors, all the writers, all yeah. the directors here in Los Angeles, but we don't have a city that's friendly enough to allow us to come into these locations and reposition these locations. Because again, look at all the retail apocalypse we're going through. Those malls are done. They're going to need to do something with those. Think of all the, I mean, it's not as big as a whole mall or like even a Sears, but I mean, all of the Toys R Us's, every single Toys R Us that's about to be gutted, right? I mean, that's... It's it's so, I mean, it was so hard. I mean, dealing with the first tension ascension, trying to get change of use permits, trying to get, um, at the time, like there was a max, I mean, this was a huge, we were in a 45,000 square foot warehouse, but at the time that we took it over, I want to say that, and I, this number might be wrong, but it was only, it would only allow something like 30 some people in there at one given time. And so we had to go in and deal with, we wanted to, to get more people. We wanted to up the occupancy. And that was a month long process to get them to allow us to up the occupancy level. And then that dealt with all kinds of more red tape, and I mean, here you are, you know, almost 50,000 square feet and they're allowing 25 people in there. And so I mean, to go sit with the city, be like, no, listen, here's how we're going to do it. Here's why it makes sense. I, safety is obviously paramount in any of these productions because if there's no safety, there's no trust. If there's no trust, no one's going to come. But you're going to catch 22 because we get shut down on safety before there's a chance to prove how we're going to be safe. So the building that we ended up moving into had no bathrooms, workable bathrooms. The electricity, the power grid was completely off. The roofs were leaking. And so when we found the location, it wasn't up to code for the general public, but it was up to code for an industrial uh, warehouse. So we literally had to get the building up to code. We had to install all the brand new toilets, brand new sinks, just to have them for yeah. the staff, for the crew, for the actors, I for remember the participants. They, they did something similar on the day shall declare it in a building that was slated for demolition. So like they had to bring it up to code and then the building was you know flattened for condos six months later. And just this, this deep irony. And like, look, I mean, no one wants to like set things up so it's impossible for people to like go to the bathroom. Right. But I find it very funny that something like 29 rooms can pop in at, you know, the row uh, in, you know, in DTLA and they build a big dome and stick a bunch of porta potties outside and they're fine. A temporary structure or like that, that challenge maze that's up for Ready Player One at Hollywood and Vine, you know, 
the the thing they've built with the stacks is is great. It's beautiful. I mean, no one's going inside of it, but like, you know, in an earthquake, those campers would fall on yeah. and and so they, you know, it's it's just absurd to me that you know the way the the permits like, well, this is a temporary structure, so you're fine. But if you're going into this building that we're pretty sure isn't going to fall down, you can't. Yeah, and you can only orb like five people at a time. You just make it a way that it's not sustainable. And I think. I think there's forces inside the city that know that this is a problem, but like they, they can only care so much because of how big LA is and how it's not necessarily tied to the same, the same entertainment dollar driver as the film industry, even though so much of the stuff is identical. Of course. I mean, you, you, you make movies. I mean, like we've talked about this, that like the stuff that's going on is like no more, even less dangerous than making a movie. Well, I'll tell you one of the problems that we also had, um, you know, trying to secure a location, um, even within lust, we were days like we, we would be, you know, we would have a, we go scout, we'd go scout the location. We'd get to the point and we'd go there three or four times with the production designer, with the design team. And then at the very last second, they'd say, Hey, a commercial's coming through for one day. And so we wanted the place at that time for a month. And that one day commercial would pay more than our one month. So obviously we'd lose it. Other places don't want to give you the building off the hope that a film shoot comes in there. Um, and so as Gordon was mentioning, like there's thousands of, of buildings, thousands downtown that are just sitting there empty, just sitting there empty. Um, most of them want a three-year occupancy lease, like a three-year lease to come in there. Um, and then if there's that, then there's a huge uphill battle to get change of use, to get, you know, like I was saying, to get the right amount of people through there. So that's been the most challenging part for us, I think, thus far um, to get where we want to go. And I think that the Russo brothers coming in has, has helped us insurmountably. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I'll say this. I think that part of the luck we had with, with Ascension was, was I was able to go in as a filmmaker. A, it's the director of Saw. And then I was able to get through a lot of red tape by doing that. I wasn't like a guy trying to do theater. I was like, hey, the director of Saw wants to rent this. And so I think that we were that, that helped somewhat. And Gordon, with his film career, I think it helped. I don't know if people were paying as much attention. It was like two filmmakers going in there. Um, now with the Russo brothers, it's kind of a different story for us because they have a small movie coming out, a little art house film opening in a, in a month or so. Yeah. Um, Very strong ensemble. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's got some B and C rate celebrities in it that yeah. might have. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that them, them coming on board is, is, is helping – put a spotlight on us, you know, not having to deal with as much of the red tape. And I think that's, that's what I'm most looking forward to and most excited about this. Um, so we'll see. We've talked a lot about the business. Um, what, and we also talk about the, the idea that in five years and 10 years, it would have been in Vegas. So what's the dream here in Vegas? Like what's the vision of what you guys are, are going for? So people get excited about, you know, the red tape, the red yeah. tape of LA is in the past and now yeah. here's Vegas where like they want to get as many human beings through as much stuff as possible because they got hotel rooms yeah. to fill. Well, we're, we, Vegas is huge for us. Vegas turns this into a global uh, intellectual property that we've created. We're definitely not abandoning Los Angeles. We love Los Angeles. We want to continue doing shows in Los Angeles. But for Vegas – getting that permanent installation into a casino on the strip you have every weekend every casino has 5000 rooms pretty much 100% sold out and so you have an audience that's going there for the entertainment and every one of those shows from the worst show to the best show 
is all sold out. Because if they're not getting into the best show, they're getting into the second best show. If they're not getting into that show. So, so for us to get into a permanent location and then the biggest challenge and the hardest part is the actual set designing and the building of it. We don't want to spend too much time on building and designing. Once we've created an environment, we just want to run the show. Mm-hmm. We want to give people their experiences. And again, we when we done when excuse me when we did tension lust again, we had to go in, find a new location. We had to get another set designer, set design it, build it out. That's a lot of work, and we've ran that for a couple weeks because we couldn't get the location for any longer. And so by going to Vegas is we're, you know, if we find the right casino partner with the Russo brothers, we're in there for five, 10 years. And then we launched here with one show and then we come up with our other concept and then we're launching with the, the Well, I think one thing that is exciting about um, what I think is about to happen is we, we announced Vegas, but we're looking at other cities right now. I mean, already um, the kind of idea is to have numerous shows going on simultaneously that all tie into a bigger universe, that all tie into this kind of universe we've created, but stand alone completely independently. Um, so one of the things that, you know, <clears throat> pardon me, one of the things with Vegas, um, it allows us freedom to do things that we have not been able to do uh, due to a budgetary standpoint, due to a permitting standpoint, due to just a, a resources. We did not have the resources to do some of the things we wanted to do. And I think when we all sit down, Clint Gordon and I started talking about what our goal and what our vision is. Um, it started off always that I wanted a rotating show where you go in on January 1st, 2019, and you come back uh, April 1st, 2019. The show has progressed. And I don't mean that it. you could start whenever you want. You can come in April, you can come in January. But the characters have progressed. Their storylines have progressed. We're Sleep No More, which is my favorite show. It's one of my – it's amazing. It's the same show. You go into it and it's the same show year after year after year. Um, and I think your experience can be different based on the tracks you get onto or based on what you choose to actually view. But what we want to do is think of this like an ongoing soap opera. And so the stories will progress. Um, the world will progress. And Clint, do you, do you have anything sure. you want to add to that? No, yeah. I think we've always treated it like a giant universe, a giant sandbox. And then um, we can focus on the different areas that work for the time. So Vegas will have – its own area, LA, Lust had its own thing, Tension had its own thing, it had a more horror feel. And we just want to keep loose threads that go through it all. So our Uber fans will be like, this is amazing, it never stops. But at the same time, uh, ironically, a lot like Marvel does, we can have our own stories within each contained experience that new people can come into and they won't miss a beat. They won't feel like they're left out of anything. If they want, they can go back and find the other stuff and find cohesive um, story points and beats that tie in and just make the world feel hopefully that much bigger for them. But yeah, just like Darren said, Gordon said, it's always been the plan to keep this all a, a gelled, cohesive thing that also stands alone. So it's not going to be a hard reboot of the, the, oh, absolutely the not. universe that exists well, so far. It, it need, here's the reality is that we need to hit a whole new audience. And I think that one of the things I love about LA is just, it feels like a family. The community feels like the family. The people in the immersive theater scene feels like a family. The players feel like family. And that's because I think we know them all. And I think that it's funny. I went and saw um, Safe House 77 last week. And I was like, oh, it's, it's you and it's you and it's you. Oh, and it's you in the audience. <laughs> and I was like, there was this camaraderie there. And I think that what Vegas has to, for us to succeed in Vegas, we can't play to the same people. We have to play to people that are in town for 24 hours 
and want to go get drunk and have fun and want to see a show. And so we can't play to the dense mythology, you know, and it was, it was funny. I have a funny safe house 77 stories. This is, this is hilarious. So it, for those that have been at safe house 77, you, you kind of meet at a parking lot. And as we're standing in this parking lot, there, there's a participant there and he's dressed out in his seventies garb. And he goes, Oh, Hey, I'm, I forgot what his name was, but he tells me his name. And he says, uh, do you do a lot of immersive theater? And I said, yeah, I, I do some immersive theater. I and he's like, Oh, I go to every show. I go to every single show. And he's talking, he goes, I went to delusion. And you know, I went to, um, uh, what's it called? Another room. And I went to, he's naming off all these things. And he literally names off every single experience except tension. And I go, <laughs> I go, Oh, that's awesome. Did you ever do tension? And, and his face contorted. Like I asked him to eat a fart and he goes, Oh no, there's too much mythology and denseness. It hurt my head when I opened the website up. And so that is it. You know, that's something that we've heard before is that it's intimidating to a new person. If you look at it, there's so many characters and so many names and so many whatever. So when we go to Vegas, it has to be kind of a clean slate in that. But we also have to pay homage to all the people that have stood by us and with us for for the last couple of years. So as Clint mentioned, you're going to see threads and narrative through lines that if you're a fan, it's going to make sense. You're going to be like, oh, that, the Omega Initiative, and oh, this and this and this. But it will play for someone that's coming in from Idaho to spend 24 hours in Vegas and they want to come see a show. They're not going to be left behind. It has to it has to exist on that level. Yeah. So, um, I mean, drama and mythology are interesting because they can play off so well from each other, you know, like you can, you can riff on some mythological idea. And if you're building your own mythology, what's even better is you can tailor make it to be dramatic and not just have to be like, Oh, well, here's this thing we got left with. Right. It's, yeah. it's different from, it's different from being a pastor and having, you know, your, your, having a Bible to work your, your, your sermons off of. Cause that's what the story is. You have the ability to rewrite the mythology when you need in order to expand it out. Absolutely. We have to be very, um, careful of what we say because I, I don't want to give anything away that we're planning but i will say it is tension elevated extremely it's um you know just some of the ideas we're throwing around from a from a choreography standpoint and from an agency standpoint um it's it's a whole it's a whole different ball game i mean it's a whole we have a whole new sandbox and a whole new toolbox i think we did tension we had a toolbox that had a hammer and a saw and some nails and a maybe a tape measure now we have a we have a huge dump truck full of you know all the uh, all the things we need to build this amazing looking mansion, which is exciting for us because we never had those tools before. We had to do it on a budget, and we had a large budget for what we were doing—a very large budget. But with you know with this new partnership, it's opened up a whole series of doors that we didn't have before. Clint, are you intimidated at all by? the stage that's being built for your crazy <laughs> well, no. fantasies here? No, because uh, when you write for the show, you have to write to the location a lot of times. And as you guys have all said, as, as you've heard, trying to find these locations in LA and such a last minute thing of just scrambling that the idea of starting from scratch to build the narrative is just the most exciting thing in the world for all of us. So it's kind of a, it's kind of working a little bit backwards in the best way that we're going to be able to do this for Vegas. We're going to be able to put a little, we're going to be able to put story first a little bit more than we ever have before. Whereas previously it was just, what are the tools that we have to work with and how can we make it happen as Darren described? So no, absolutely not. Uh, I think it's going to be super exciting in the best way. I think when we started this, you know, it always was the game. That was, that was it. I mean, that was the movie that kind of inspired me and the one that I always mention and talk about. 
um, we're now going to be that much more, I guess, that much more realistic to be able to do that um, in Vegas with some of the concept we're talking around that it's going to be much more the game than it ever was in, in LA. Yeah. One of the best con, uh, one of the best lines that I've read in one of the reviews or write-ups that we got, and I believe it was Mashable. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but they said we were the game meets Westworld, which I thought was probably the best compliment we could have gotten. Did it get easier to explain this stuff to people after Westworld? Well, Cause it got easier for me. Black mirror. <laughs> Black mirror. Black oh. mirror too. Well, do yeah. you know what's crazy? And, and this is something that's something that I think Clint and I struggle with a lot. We've been talking about is when, when we launched tension at the ARG, it was kind of, it was absolutely the wild West. There wasn't that much going on in that kind of space. And in the last two years, I've seen, so many other ARGs pop up, so many other of these immersive theaters pop up, so many um, activations pop up. You look at South by Southwest this year, and they had an award show for the best activations, Yeah, which five years ago, you weren't seeing that. I mean, if there, there would be one or two maybe a year. Now you're seeing them. Every major thing, Sundance activations, Comic-Con activations, South by Southwest activations. There are all these things now, and I think that, that agencies and people are finally getting behind the idea that to connect with an audience – it's much more – there's something much to me wiser about spending your money on a huge Westworld thing at South By when I – literally my feed. My feed was just full of Westworld this, Westworld that, Westworld this. Oh, my, yeah. My feed, and for days afterwards. Like yeah. one weekend and like two weeks later, we're still reaping the benefits of that. So it's easier I think now than it ever has been to talk about it. Um trying to go into places originally and say we're doing this crazy thing where you can interact with actors 24 hours a day and you can call them on the phone or you can email them they would look at us like we were crazy now they're like oh like something and i'm like yeah but yeah but no like but so it, it is it's becoming progressively easier it's also becoming honestly harder for us because i <laughs> so we're something i can tell you we're going to start changing the way that we work in la and i think that's i'm excited about that as well because one morning Clint and I woke up and we called Gordon and it was it was it was frustrating because we would do a lot of things like we would call people or we'd show up to their house or we'd put cryptic messages on their cars or whatever. People now are confused which ARG it's coming from. They're like, "Oh, I got to call at midnight." No, that wasn't no, that wasn't the tension experience. Right. It was so and so, and that's become frustrating now because it is now becoming a very satur- oversaturated market. So how do we stay in front of that? How do we? How do we again try to do something that people aren't doing? And I think that also, which is exciting about this next stage, is that we're going to start going back to trying to be a little more original and unique in the way that we engage fans and engage audiences, which we didn't have, again, the tools to do before, but now we do. Are you expecting to have in Vegas what you had in LA? I mean, on the one hand, you do have the opportunity in Vegas for all the people that are coming in for the weekend, all the conventions, just like this massive humanity. But it's also not far from Los Angeles, and there there are people who live in Vegas, to, and there's always famously with Broadway, they're the kids who go see a show over and over again. Hell, but I was in San Francisco and I was working at a production of Putnam County Spelling Bee, and every weekend we'd see these kids out from the East Bay who would come to see the show every Saturday and become fans. Are you are you prepping for that inevitability? Well, so those kids from the East Bay, when they're in the Bay, they're going to act one way. It's funny how everyone acts the minute they're 100 miles away from home. When you go on a vacation, you're acting a certain way. When you go to Vegas, you're completely uninhibited. And so I think by catering to the same people that are in Los Angeles, when they're going to Vegas, 
they're completely uninhibited. They're going to want to push the envelope. They're going to want to do some more risque type of behavior and experiences that they typically wouldn't do when they're back home. And so I think that has to do with being in a hotel, being with your friends, the alcohol is a big part of it. In in regards to your, in regards to what you're asking, I think on the fandom and the community, community to us is everything. It's what allowed us to be where we are right now. If there was no community on Slack or on the message boards um, or fake picketing outside a warehouse, this wouldn't exist. And so I think that community is still very, very important to us and getting those repeat people to come in. Yeah. Um, Yes. We're in a different, we're in a different city now. Um, But the reality is that we want to create something that's not only a destination. That's not only something that you want to drive into. If you live in LA, fly in, if you live in New York, but allow you to watch peripherally and be somewhat involved in what's happening. So as Gordon said earlier, we're not ending what we're doing in LA. It's not, it's not going away. Um, Vegas is a, an extension of it and it's a new story. It's a new, it's a new chapter of the tension lust universe and, and continue to watch. You're going to see it pop up in places like Chicago when we're talking Miami and they're, they're different storylines. They're different, um, Zumanity. Oh, it's, they're different shows. I've said this earlier on, you know, the tension universe, the tension experience is like a fine bottle of French wine. As you open it, it, and the more air it receives and the breathes, it just gets better as it gets more mature. I feel we're getting a lot more mature. We're kind of growing into this space. And I think that we're just going to concentrate on what made us different and separate. I don't think we're going to completely discontinue the ARG component, which I kind of always liked, because I think that fan base alone just showed a commitment that they were committed to the art form of it. But also, I think we the, the tension universe is kind of has evolved and we want to continue to evolve it. And so so Vegas will kind of set the tone for what we do and how we do it in the rest of the cities. Clint, what did you want to add there? Oh, I, I was just going to add on to both their points that absolutely we are going to evolve. And I think we will have our one and dones, you know, our bachelor party weekend people that come in for the exciting new experience. But baked into the experience is important for all of us that we do. One of the things that was great about tension and just immersive in general is always that what if factor, right? Like you on the ride home, you talk to everyone about the different experience that everyone had. And then you wonder, what if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? And we're absolutely going to bake that into the addictive qualities of the experience that repeat customers will be rewarded each and every time, no matter how many times you come back. And that'll be part of the allure of how how we draw in the marketing for what could happen next you know one experience i think darren can agree to this one and and expound on it maybe but one experience will not be the same as the next experience everyone's will be different it's not going to be cookie cutter and you're going to want to come back and back and maybe even those uh bachelorette party girls will be back a few times after they get hooked we'll we'll see that would that would be quite the coup to take to take like the, the bachelorette party and and have them become the obsessive fans over and over again. One one thing that uh, we're playing with right now in the, in the kind of conceptualization of it is agency and and how when you're in when we're in what we did in LA we are very limited. So with Lust we had. Four days of rehearsal, I think five yeah, days yeah. Like that before we open, mm. and so we were very limited to go through separate scenarios. And so every actor would have two or three scenarios that they can go with. Um, but moving forward, I want the agency to be 
seemingly never ending. Yeah. Basically, you're not getting a pre-scripted one, two, or three thing. Depending on if you know how, if you do A and B and C, this is going to happen to you. And so I want people to continue to come back and try to unlock that because to me, that's why I still do go back to sleep no more is I hear about, wait, there's a one-on-one there and I never got that. I got I to gotta unlock that. We want the um, seemingly open sandbox to be much bigger than we've seen before in anything. So let me – Yeah. With greater, greater and greater teach? rewards, yeah. With what? Greater and greater so, rewards? As you go on, yeah. So it'll yeah, it'll get bigger and better with each unlock. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I didn't mean to step on you there. No, no. No, I'm, I'm here to interview you, not the other way around. Yeah. Um, how do you teach an audience that they have that power? Right, like that's so, that's a big question we're all facing. I, I follow along on uh, everything immersive, and I see all the kind of <laughs> ongoing discussions about um, what should an audience know prior to going in. Yeah. Um, in the past, specifically with Lust, which was a very um, very risque show, and I think for us as the creators, we were constantly surprised by how far people, our audience, would go. And I think that um, we had three waivers that a typical audience member would have to go through. When you went on the website to get the ticket, you got you got something that was generic, and it would say something like um, strobe lights. You could have to crawl, sexual themed, whatever. Um, then you had a second one that came uh, the week of the show, and the week of the show it was much more simulated sex, um, uncomfortable situations, things like that. Uh, and then there was a third one that you were when you were brought in the actual warehouse. Uh, a character named the Deacon gave you another kind of very, very small one. Um, but I think, which is funny, which I didn't realize as well as a participant, and I'm a, hor- I'm a horrible participant, I've realized. Because on Safe House, on Safe House 77, again, I'm going to go back to that one, I didn't read everything that I should have read. I scanned it, I signed it, and I moved on. Uh, same thing yeah. with, oh, here's an example on the Willows. When I went and saw the Willows, I, uh, you know, I, there's a whole thing that comes to you, and I, uh, and I quickly sign my thing, and I whatever, and I show up to the Willows, and I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans, and I see everyone in like suits and like tuxedos and looking nice, and I look at Laura, who I met, my wife, who I met there. She's like, "Didn't you read the thing?" And I'm like, "I didn't read it. What did it say?" And she's like, "You're supposed to dress up." So literally, I'm the asshole in this thing, wearing a t-shirt and like jeans, and everyone else is looking nice, and I'm an immersive Crocs. No, I no Crocs. My point being is, I think that one thing I've learned, and this is constantly learning experience. What I thought I knew uh, doing Ascension, I, I I learned a thousand times more doing Lust, and I think we learned a thousand times more in this last month. Yes. Um, people don't read. They don't. They sign stuff really quickly, and I think there were a lot of people that were taken by surprise by how far, pardon me, Lust went. I think that we as, an, we as creators have to be responsible when people walk in to make sure that when you walk in, you understand what you're walking into. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what's interesting. It's been on my. It's funny. Clint and I were talking about this because uh, he called me while I was on my way over here, and it's been on my mind. The safety thing's always on my mind, and and the ability to push the the artistic envelope, the ability to challenge people, and the balance between art and entertainment. But the idea that for me, the idea that for something to be for something to be dangerous doesn't mean that it has to actually literally be like OSHA unsafe, right? Like there's there's a massive difference between crafting something that's going to push people's emotional buttons, that's going to take them places they may not be comfortable in doing, 
let them know how they can, you know, call out if they need to call out. And something where if you step on the floor, it's going to break open, you're going to fall down, or you're going to wind up just there at the, the whims of some you know, sadistic fool. Can I tell you what makes me really angry? And I'm getting more and more angry. I think the more and more professional we're trying to be is Clint and Gordon will both tell you the insanity that we went to and the insanity, the, the kind of, I don't know what's obsessive compulsive nature that I went to as it related to permits and insurance and legalities, because I think that we, it's the illusion of um, unsafe in a very safe environment. It's the illusion that things aren't monitored, that things could go too far, but we take extreme caution and care to make sure that isn't, you know, that, that we're protected. I see a lot of places now that are, that are great shows that aren't doing that. And what concerns me and scares me is it's going to hurt the people that actually are doing it. And it takes one, one serious injury. Now, even with all these protections in place, with all this insurance and all these lawyers and all this, whatever, someone could still get hurt. And then we're, you know, there's that, there's that inevitable thing that could happen, but I have less and less tolerance for people doing things in their garage that, that there's that, 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 that unprotected thing that one person gets hurt and it screws it up for the entire industry. And that sometime I'm fearful will happen. Yeah. It's, it's literally, it keeps me up at night because I think it's easy to go into a show and see the surface and not understand how much, I mean, that's the point is to make it look easy, right? You make it look easy. You make it look terrifying, you know, and if you've done your job, right. I mean, it's actually just a guy in a suit it's just, I mean, I remember like you gave me the backstage tour attention originally and, and just like walking into the room where like, there's like, there was, there was one, you know, one possible scene someone going to unlock where there yeah. was like something in a dark room. And I was like, all, oh yeah, I could see this like being like total, total wig out mode. And then I think I later on saw the actor in that, in yeah. that mode. I was like, all, oh God, yeah, that would have freaked me. <laughs> but like that sense that like something's beyond, right. In order to get people to suspend their disbelief and give you that trust. Well, that's that's the whole point. I think the, the audiences that we're trying to attract, they're coming for that visceral experience. They're coming to have all five of their senses being used. And I think creating that blurred line between fantasy and reality, I think that's what puts people on edge. That's what makes their hairs on their back come up because they're like, wait a minute, we know this is, we're in a safe place, but how real and how fake is this? And so we kind of blur that line. And I think that is what makes you tense. I think that is what gives you that excitement. That is what's giving you that thrill ride that you're not just sitting there. Like if you want to go see a play, then just go sit in the front row and watch the play. Right. You just want the narrative, right? So here you're getting an opportunity to live the narrative, but at the same time be part of the narrative, but have that visceral experience. Well, wait a minute, this is scaring the shit out of me, but I know I'm safe, but am I safe? Yeah. But our job is to scare the shit out of them but also make sure that they feel safe at the same time. So um, if you're okay, I'd like to bring someone else into the conversation. I think I'm okay with that. All so. right. So we're going to call Joe Russo up, um, who is our partner in this. And as I mentioned, he has an art house film opening in a couple of weeks, a little thing called the Avengers. Infinity um, War. Infinity War. Um, so he has uh, 10 minutes to, to chat with you. Uh, let me give him a, let me give him a shout on the old phone. Let's, uh, let's do this. The last time we called someone live on the show, it was uh, Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. who does our music. This is uh, – I love Chris to death, but this is, this is a little uh, yeah, higher up. Uh, one second. This is a little, little more high stakes here. Um, 
Joe, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yes. So you are on with Noah Nelson of No Persinium Podcast. Gordon and Clint and I are all on, and we're just talking about all things immersive. And I thought it would be fun to get you on and uh, talk for a few minutes to Noah about uh, kind of your 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 history with immersive. Of course, love to talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, Joe, how did you how did you find these guys? Like, what what led you to uh, to jumping on tension and and just blowing it up the way you're about to blow it up? Uh, you know, the, the, the long story is, is that, uh, you know, I, I grew up loving haunted houses. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I used to, I used to seek them out, uh, all over the city. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I, I liked immersive experience from a young age. Uh, you know, I, uh, I went to sleep no more. I, uh, I went to alone. I went to blackout. Um, I had a curated experience with uh, Adrian Marcado and, and Heretic. Uh, it was sort of a cabinet woods experience with me and four of my friends. So I'm, I'm a bit of a, you know, I've done all the sort of real projects. Uh, so I'm a bit of a fanatic. And, uh, and um, when they, these guys opened Tension, actually, I believe I was in Atlanta at the time uh, working. Um, I think it was on uh, Captain America Civil War. And I actually flew back for the weekend. To, att- to attend Tension because I'd heard so many good things about it. Uh, so I traveled cross country uh, to spend an evening at the Tension Experience and had my mind blown. And that's one of the things I was going to ask you is like how you manage to like keep up with this stuff because for years now you've been making blockbusters, uh, but you don't you you don't just get to keep up with it. you like you make time to do this stuff. Uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, I you know I. Um, I, I got an MFA in acting uh, when I was uh, uh, 20 years old. Um, I love theater. Uh, I was involved in experimental theater when I was in acting school. So it's a it, it's a natural extension of, of who I am and, and what I like, uh, um, uh, just from a taste standpoint. So this is a this is a hobby of mine, immersive theater. Uh, so you know, I, I make time for it in my life. It's a, it's you know, it's a, a stress reliever when uh, when you're working uh, sixteen hour days on uh, on these movies for uh, for years at a time. So you're working right now on like the biggest movie of the year, pretty much guaranteed, and you're stepping in in this other business realm and and helping these guys go to Vegas. What's what's the motivation? I mean, you could just stay making blockbuster films and do probably whatever you want in that world for like the next forty years if you want. Why jump in on a producerial level for immersive? My brother and I are always looking for what is new in narrative. What is what? Where can you take narrative that's cutting edge? What is fresh about it? We're storytellers at heart, and uh, and storytelling translates in a bunch of different mediums. And I'm always looking for what is the most, you know, interesting way to experience a story. Uh, and I thought tension, I thought um, that uh, Darren and the gang had, had taken it to another level, that the depth of storytelling, the depth of narrative, the, the quality of the acting, the quality of the interaction uh, was so high uh, that it was, um, that it was, a, it was the, it was the highest level of detail I had seen in an immersive experience. And I thought, while this could really translate to a wider audience if people uh, um, were just exposed to it. 
And, and I really believe that the next step in storytelling is immersive storytelling, whether that's immersive theater or whether that's VR or whether that's AR. It's the direction that we're headed in. We've had two-dimensional uh, storytelling on a, on a movie screen for 100 years, and I think that we're now moving in a direction both um, um, psychologically and, uh, and technologically uh, towards craving immersive. And, uh, and I think that uh, these guys created the, the pitch-perfect immersive experience, and I, and I, think it sh- I think it should be brought to larger audiences. In the circles you get to run around in creatively, how many people share that insight, that belief that immersive is the next step? Is that something that's becoming more common or are we really still out here in the frontier? I think we're out in the frontier, but it's becoming more common uh, uh, with the with with savvier crowd, uh, with the younger crowd. Uh, but there, there's a lot of actors uh, uh, that are into immersive theater. I mean, I, you know, I think it, it, it's endorsed in, in a way in, in, in my business with, as I was saying, that, you know, a, a more savvier segment of the business. But I think, it, you know, once, once people experience it, I mean, I, I brought uh, two experienced um, immersive theater uh, experienced individuals to tension and three who had never been to immersive theater before. And the minute we walked out, all, all, all of them turned to me and said, can you, can you please ask Darren if we can go back in tonight? Can we just turn around and go back in? And, you know, when, when you can take someone who's never been involved in it and they can have that kind of experience uh, and you can break that barrier because it is, you know, you, you, you need that, you know, that, oh, yeah. you need that first experience to understand how, how, how to interact and to not be intimidated by it. Uh, uh, you know, when you can break that barrier that quickly, uh, I, I think that that can translate uh, on a much broader level. So I felt like, you know, if, the, if these uh, if these folks can get it, then I think a lot more people could. Joe, thank you. Joe, I appreciate the phone call, man. I will uh, I will talk to you soon, man. Thank you so much for jumping on. Of course, Joe. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you. All right. Um, all right. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy that you hear like it's it's insane how quickly. I mean, just Joe Russo is an is an example. Um, there, how quickly it took one or two people, the right people to see something, to be able to elevate it. And, you know, there were, we, this isn't a, this isn't a, a story no one knows. We've talked about it in the past, but we were crapping out night after night. Um, you know, we had 60 actors, something like that, 60, 70 actors. Um, and we might've sold 50 tickets the first week or the first night, you know? And so we have more actors than people. And what happened was throughout the course of the run, um, you know, certain people would come out and see it and then they tweet about it. And then Neil Patrick Harris saw it and tweeted about it. Then Joe Russo hears about it and he comes out and he tweets about it and how quickly it went from, you know, barely hanging on to having this kind of support system behind us to allow us to stay open night after night after night. And so it was I think amazing. I remember the night I went, I think the Kardashians were coming through. Yeah. Or something <laughs> like that. We had some we, crazy. We had crazy people we, showing. We definitely had an eclectic uh, group of fan base showing up, and uh, there was definitely a lot of Hollywood uh, that was showing up, and we were pretty impressed by that. The fact that the agents, managers, production companies, studios, networks were coming, and then actors were coming, and other artists were coming, athletes were coming, because word got out, and once the word got out, and they started to tweet it, they started to Instagram it, and when Neil Patrick Harris came through. He was blown away. He tweeted it the next week. 
tickets sold out 500 yeah. percent. like I, yeah. my favorite though was not the actors or celebrities that came out it was the people that knew nothing about it that came out we had a we had a few groups of people i i don't know how they found out about us or how they ended up getting tickets to it but there was that one group and i would say they, they came together and there was seven of them and they had to have been in their 60s and it was one it was one safety or coward after the next in this thing and it was they finally someone went out and asked them what does you think you were coming to tonight and a husband read about it in la weekly and they wanted to go to the theater and he was like, Oh, it's being raved about here. And so they bought tickets, not knowing anything about it, not knowing any of the story, not knowing the whole immersive element of it. And so this, this group of 60 year old people showed up to our show and literally one by one. And I think in that one night, they, that entire group called coward halfway through the experience, which uh, to me that, that was just, it's those type of experiences, which just uh, were the memories that are going to stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying people on their way to retirement. Exactly. The Darren Lynn Bowsman Great. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I would say going just the, the, the Vegas to it. I don't think you're going to have as many people jumping out. Like, I think there's, there's going to be enough, like, just keep going, man. It's happening there. Well, it's, it's hard. And I think what Gordon brought up is a concern that I personally have is, um, you know, people do come to Vegas to let loose, to party, to uh, to to drink too much, spend too much money, and, and get into get into antics. And I think that that is a concern that I have as as, as well. Is um, at least with Los Angeles, it was very curated. The people that came through, ninety percent of them, ninety five percent of them, n- knew what they were getting into. And there's that five percent, like I just talked about. Um, but how will? And this is the this is the test. How does the other group of people, the people that literally just showed up to stay at the Luxor one night and see a flyer on their thing about, you know, the tension experience, how do they deal with it? Yeah. Will they know that they can talk to actors? Will they know that there's agency? Will they, whatever. I mean, that, that's, that, that's yet to be seen. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating design problem, right? Because you can, you could do a thing where you could stand there and read the 10 commandments to someone mm-hmm. and like get them, you know, at each point to say like, do you understand? And they have to repeat it back to you. Or you can approach it like a video game tutorial level and it'd be like, okay, here's how we teach you how you say yes. Here's how we teach you how you say no. Like you can right. go this way, you can go that way. And, and, and when you have a permanent physical plant, you can, you can start thinking about those sorts of things. You can start refining that. You know, you get, you get a, you get a year, two, three, four, five year long run, you'll be able to iterate. Well, I think sure. one thing that we're talking about, and Clint can talk about this a little bit, is how we deep dive people that buy a ticket to this in Vegas that don't know about the ARG, that don't know about immersive theater, um, doing it very quickly, uh, but curating a mini ARG for them. I mean, Clint, do you have any? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of options that we have and, and, and hopefully the things that we're looking at a lot of technology options. So the immersive experience won't be an ARG necessarily that you follow forums online, but the ARG can be uh, formulated inside the club itself, inside talking. And when your, you know, video game tutorial comes up, is there a way to make that narratively make sense when you're inside the club? Is there a way to make that make sense on your phone where you have to go through a process? And as you're going through this process, it's more than a waiver. It's, and it's actually entertaining to do where you're actually being taught again, with the narrative, within the world, within the confines of the world, so that it's believable how to interact and play with this universe and how to get the most out of it. I think we have a lot of opportunities that we have with a bigger budget, with a long-term contract, with, 
that we we simply don't have when we get pop-ups or we do a thing for a week or a couple months. So I'm really excited about that. And I, and I think these are all valid concerns. And I think there's exciting ways to tackle them that make them feel fluid rather than you go and automatically bump on, okay, well, this is, you know, this is where I understand that I'm having an experience. If, if that's all seamless, if it all feels meta, if it all pe- feels part of the universe, you're going to have a great experience and you're not, you're going to have a great experience because you know what to do and because you're not being pulled out of it and having a suspension of disbelief that this is a separate thing that you're going into. Any so ideas? How long on- do we have to wait? Oh, any ideas oh. on that? Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll I, find a way. We'll find Gordon? a way. I, I I mean, it's it's a work in progress. We we stuff we definitely have a lot of work ahead of us. We have to still put a concept together and present it to every casino owner operator on this trip in locations that ideally we'd like to be in. And then 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 it's up to the casino at what point can they allocate the space and then at that point we have to design the space and build it out. So hopefully we can be up and running by uh, next year. We one thing that Clint and I and Gordon have been talking about in great detail is in the meantime, I, I don't have the ability to sit still. I can't do it. And I think um, I, I believe you're releasing a, a film you shot in, yeah. you know, last year and, and made in between all the shenanigans and I'm going to overlook and I leave and, for Bangkok next week, uh, the week after next to do another film, but I can't, nothing reaches that drug. And I think immersive theater is a drug and I'm high on it. And it's, it's this thing that, I thought it was the Advil from earlier. Well, I, I did take six Advil before this thing started. Um, Wild man. But I think immersive theater to me is a drug, and it's so hard to explain to those in my life, to my wife. Uh, it's it's she's hard. Very patient. I, she, she she's yeah, she's not so patient. That's an, a lot. Of that's an act. Uh, oh, hey now. No, she. That's the Advil talk. Yeah, that's the Advil. No, but um, sh- I want nothing to me reaches the level, the high that I feel when in the depths of a storyline an immersive theater, the depths of interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got some exciting things we're doing for Los Angeles in the meantime, um, and kind of a way to rethink the idea of an energy. And I think one of the things that becomes sad to me is, so, you know, you, you do a, you do a movie that's successful and next thing you see, if that movie is successful, there's 10 other movies just like it. And you oversaturate that, you oversaturate that market. What makes it hard to make more of those type of movies? And so the thing that I'm kind of running into now is, I see a lot of the same and there's a lot of really great things, but there are a lot of the same. And so how do we come back with the ARG and make it completely different? So it, we've been talking the, the last month or so. What about, was that oh, I was just going to say to carve into the market in a unique way to feel fresh again is, is important. Yeah. Um, and, so, then, and that's the other thing. While we're working on Vegas, we definitely don't want to, pause anything that we have been doing in los angeles and going on with darren and clint saying we want to continue with what we've begun here and continue to have a footprint in los angeles and ultimately other cities while vegas is coming together because vegas is the big long-term play but at the same time we're not going to stop what we're doing working on currently on within the tension universe here in los angeles yeah the circus well, LA model right there's, there's yeah. the touring shows that are in all the different cities well yeah. the thing we're talking about with la is a new way to approach the ARG. and i think the ARG can be frustrating from an outsider's perspective because let's say that you love immersive theater and you you want to see these things we're doing but you don't want to deal with the two years of nonsense of storylines and characters that you don't understand we're going to introduce kind of a new model um, 
that anyone can join in at any given time, as well as completely reward and um, shepherd the people that have been following us for the last two years. And so starting soon, where you'll, you'll see what that model is. I think it's for us, it's really exciting because it's a, maybe the next step, what I think the next step of what ARGs could be. So we'll see. All right. Looking forward to it. Gentlemen, Clint, who's on the other end of the line from us, and Gordon yes. and Darren, thank you guys for uh, taking the time. And I'm definitely looking forward to all the schemes you're, you're scheming coming to light. Thank you for thank having you us. Thank you for uh, having us back on. Yes, thank you. Once again, I want to thank Darren Bowsman, Clint Sears, and Gordon Bijalonic for being our guests on the show today. You can catch up with what's going on with the experiences by visiting either the Tension Experience or thelustexperience.com. Yeah, there, there. That's that's the the way to connect. The Lust Experience is where the current storylines uh, forum is. So if you want to jump on board, and there's uh, there's there's plans afoot. There are plans afoot. There's there's no waiting. The show does go on. Hey, um, I forgot a regular part of the show uh, at the start, which means that everyone I'm about to thank on the Patreon campaign uh, is going to get to be uh, thanked next week as well. So, you know, making a note to like do exactly that next week as well, writing that down. Um, there, you hear that clicking sound? That means it's going to happen. So, the folks who took us over the edge, and these this is very important people. They took us over the edge, so uh, I should have I should have uh, remembered at the start of the show. Daniel Burns, Rob Otten, Dan Weiss, Jeff Stark, Joe Maceda, and Elaine for upping her pledge. Thank you all. You took us over the top. You earn being on the thank you part twice, and of course the sustaining backers for the show are. Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Herstan, and Ross Sigworth. So we'll probably do that again in a moment. Um, hey, uh, we had an editorial update this week, editorial policy, um, where we laid down some new rules about what it takes to get listed. Now, most people have reacted really well to this, and I'm glad. Um, and some folks, you know, uh, you know, I can see... I see y'all. Um, some folks have sort of talked about the relationship of art and entertainment and, and you know, folks who were like back the show uh, sort of getting to that. Some folks, you know, making notes about like, well, art should be dangerous um, and and sort of, I guess, implying that, you know, we're advocating for, I don't know, like just soft, cushiony entertainment things that don't push the limits all the time. So let's just take that head on. Um, and I recorded about four different versions of The Irregular this week. The Irregular being our uh, backer-only uh, podcast, little snips and snaps. But um, this, this deserved to be in this segment of the main show because editorial policy changes are um, affect everybody. I don't want everyone to hear them. Uh, so if you don't know, go to the website. Um, I think it's off the main part of the front page right now, but um, we'll put it in the show notes here. We set out policy around two issues, physical and psychological risks. Um, I want to make one note at the beginning. In those editorial policies, we did not 
say that we would not cover any given genre of work that includes extreme horror experiences that may involve heavy duty contact that some people, um, you know, say are akin to uh, torture um, or enhanced interrogation as uh, as the, the politically correct way of saying it. Um, not that these things are actually that and not that these things should be actually that. And therein lies the rub because there is a world of difference between, you know, uh, trying to extract a confession from someone through force and uh, trying to make someone believe that you're extracting some kind of confession uh, from them by force. Uh, shades of gray, indeed, but shades of gray nonetheless. Um, how about this? Uh, like I said, we didn't put a red line on anything that people might label extreme. Now, you notice, you know, we've never we've never covered certain things. We never covered, you know, McKinney Manor. Why would we? Um, we we haven't listed heretic. Um, that's partly with, on heretic. It comes down to the fact that like heretic usually does a really good job selling itself out. So uh, and some stuff, you know, is better served, you know, going word of mouth on the underground. Not everything. Not everything needs to be in the light. Now, if something egregious happens, then it needs to get dragged into the light. Because, just to be blunt, when stupid shit happens at shows that are, you know, immersive theater adjacent, it tars us all. The outside world still doesn't get us. And this is the thing that we're trying to prevent. We're trying to prevent the whole of it getting shut down while letting people ride the edge. So again, other than taste and a general sense of, um, we are not curating for genre. All right. And those are actually two separate things. So we'll, we'll put stuff in, you know, there's, there's every chance that when blackout comes back, we will have blackout in there. Um, there's, there's a good chance that somewhere down the line, we'll have a heretic show, you know, trigger warning cautioned up the wazoo, but there's every chance. What we're not going to list is any production that has high intensity physical risk elements that doesn't have a named safety coordinator. You might also think of it as a stunt coordinator. You might think of it as the, you know, physical, you know, stress designer. I honestly don't fucking care what you call them. What I want is this. I want to be able to hold two people accountable. This is about accountability. This is about checks and balances. Any show that is doing high intensity, physically risky stuff should have two people named for accountability. The primary producer of the show and the person who's supervising the stunt type work. Those people should be named. Their names should be discoverable by press. Preferably, those names should be discoverable by patrons. Because if you're going to be putting people into any kind of dangerous situation, and this would be very, very true if you were doing stunts on a film, you need to have people who are responsible and accountable. Now go your merry way and do what you want to do, but just know you need to be held accountable. 
And if you're not willing to be held accountable, and if you're not willing to find someone to share the risk with you, then you're not getting listed in what we do. The stakes are too damn high. The same goes true for psychological risks. Now there we get into murkier territory, and I'm specifically talking about one-to-one communication between creatives and audience members. Creatives and audience members, specifically in online communications. So if you're doing texts, emails, slacks, those things need to be reviewable slash auditable by at least one other producer, or if you don't have another producer, someone outside your production staff who is named, who is able to go through the material. Why? Why this? It seems a little strange. Yes, it is a little strange. It also comes from numerous conversations with people who have worked behind the scenes on more than one production that has used this sort of form. I talked to Darren about how tension handles it. And I talked to some other folks who don't want to be named about how their productions handled it and what worked and what really didn't work. And thus we land on this policy that is again rooted in accountability. I have no desire to dictate what people choose to do artistically. But I will hold people accountable for actions that cross lines. But first, you got to draw a line and say where your line is. So let's just be very clear about this. If I sound a little peeved, if I sound a little worked up about it, I am. Because I know the conversations that are happening inside government buildings, with insurers, with agents, with all kinds of folks who are looking at this stuff and they do not understand. They just don't understand. And 95% of this stuff, 99% of this stuff is innocuous. All right. But if you're going to be taking risks, you need to be held accountable. I'm a broken record and I'm going to stay a broken record. And as for art and edginess and danger, Artists should put themselves in danger. Artists should take risks. Just remember, in participatory art, you're asking the audience to come along. And they should have a share of the power there. That's what the whole agency thing is. And if you're asking the audience to put themselves fully in your power, then you're taking on responsibility for two people. That's one thing. And the other thing is, How much are you putting yourself at risk if you have all the power in a situation? That's just a question, right? If you're in total control, are you really at risk? In the macro sense, yeah, you are. Because you'll be held accountable if something goes wrong. So just realize there's no way around it. You're accountable. Question is, are you going to be transparent? And for us, that's the line. You're always going to be held accountable, no matter what. And if you're transparent about it, 
The nice thing is, is you are standing up and taking the responsibility. And that's what we ask of people going forward. And that is the standard. We've also had people ask us uh, for a policy around uh, content advisories. In fact, people asked us specifically, uh, uh, you know, are you going to change the article um, about this stuff to reflect that? No, uh, we're not going to change the article that's about these two risks uh, because that article is about these two risks. We are, however, implementing content advisory policies and we will when we get a freaking chance because um, remember volunteer time uh, we will write that up in fact I got a draft going right now I just literally have to have the time to sit down and write it out uh, however we have a new form uh, for submitting shows which you can access via um, we'll put it in the links uh, so if you want to send us something if you don't want to send us a press release or you do want to send us a press release, one way you can do it is we've got this Airtable form. We can put it out. And in that form, we have questions about uh, what sort of content advisories people should be aware of. And there is a specific one around themes of sexual violence. There's also a, a, a listings of types, degrees of touch. So we're tracking this stuff now. We're trying to be systematic about the way we track it. Because, again, we have no desire to dictate content, but we want to make sure, we always want to make sure that we're matching the right audience to the right endeavors. And for the stuff that is ambiguous, I encourage the people who enjoy ambiguous stuff, who just don't know, you should, those should be the folks who pursue it. If you have any question in your head, if you're not sure, if you don't know, and if the, the show isn't communicating out, right? If a show is a black box and isn't telling you what it's about, it isn't telling you what the themes are, and isn't telling you what the risks are, and you're concerned about that stuff, yes, come to us, come to the other people who are covering the scene and say, hey, what's up? But also know that that's your first red flag, that if people aren't communicating that sort of stuff, right, and you're concerned about it, that you probably shouldn't go jump in blind. If you don't care about such things or if you're seeking it out, then friggin' go for it, right? And again, no judgment, right? Everybody, everybody enjoys different stuff. Everyone enjoys a wide range of stuff. <sighs> All right. Enough pontificating. I, people think I enjoy this part of it. I don't. I don't like going to this headspace. It annoys me. I'd rather just be out there enjoying work and setting up the future. But, you know, the honor system only goes so far. So here we go. Structure. Structure. Because sooner or later, the playground needs rules. Hey, there's a lot of good work coming out there. There's a lot of good folks doing a lot of great stuff. Sometimes you just have to prep for the things that aren't so great. Um... That's enough of all that right now. Let's do the credits and let's look forward to that brighter future because you know what? There's going to be a lot more chaos in the road ahead and there's going to be things that no one's predicted, both good and bad. So cheers to the future. Uh, congratulations to the Tension Boys and everyone who's brought them across that finish line because um, high Tension Acting Corps and Lust Acting Corps Y'all are superstars, and thank you so much. And you're also some of those wonderful people I know. And yeah, let's let's do the credit stuff. So again, uh, the sustaining backers for No Persinium are Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, 
Arthur Tubman, Ari Herstan, and Ross Sigworth. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find us at No Persinium on Twitter, at NoPersinium.com. The Facebook group is Everything Immersive, uh, which can be found at EverythingImmersive.com. We're on the Instagram. We're on the this. We're on the that. You know, if there's a social media platform that matters, I said that matters, we're on there. Um, and of course, patreon.com slash no proscenium, uh, because, uh, this thing literally does not pay for itself. Um, you pay for it and I'm thankful for that. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>